You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good morning. I had to, to check to see what the, the series was. Um, we, we, had, we debated a bunch of different titles, and I, I just like more good stuff from the Bible, but that lost. <laughs> Good to see all of you this morning. You know, for centuries, I guess, maybe even millennium, the Maasai of Eastern Africa have marked the transition of a boy to an adult warrior in the same way, generation after generation. The boys give away all their possessions. They paint their faces white. And then they're circumcised before the elders of the tribe without benefit of painkillers and without showing any pain or fear. Then, only after they've killed a lion are they considered an adult warrior and permitted to marry and raise a family. And it is through the the practice of this ancient rite of passage that each Maasai knows who he is and who he belongs to. He's Messiah. And his tribe knows that he is not only capable of providing for and defending himself, but defending his family and defending the tribe. In 2008, the Messiah stopped killing lions because there were so few of them left in Africa. But they haven't stopped training their children because they know that unless a culture is intentionally passed on to the next generation, that culture cannot endure for long. That's why for 2,000 years, one of the chief duties of the church has been to pass the faith on to our children. And uh, we're not doing a great job of it right now in America. Today uh, has been the case for several decades. Most children raised in the church will walk away from the faith by their second year of college. Happened to me. I, I grew up in the church. I didn't miss a Sunday. I was the uh, leader of my youth group. Uh, I won all the Bible memory contests we had. But when I went away to school at Long Beach State, I never darkened the door of a church again. And I quickly acclimated myself to the typical lifestyle of a Southern California college students of drinking and sex and sleeping in or the beach on Sundays. And what happened to me more than 50 years ago is happening regularly to our kids. And that's why for the next three weeks, we were going to do a, a series, which we call a church for all generations, passing on the faith uh, to our to our children and just talk about our responsibility as Christian adults to, to pass the faith on uh, to, to, our, to our kids. And uh, what I hope you'll see today, uh, more than anything else, is that parenting is disciple-making. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus at Easter, and about a month after Jesus rose from the dead, he gathered his his band of disciples together and and gave them these very familiar words. All authority has been given to me in heaven 
and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Make disciples. In the first century, there were very few educational institutions. And if you wanted to get an education or you wanted to learn a trade, you had to attach yourself to a master teacher. And you would live with that teacher and learn everything you could from that teacher in order to become like that teacher. And that's what these men have been doing for the last three years as they have lived with Jesus and learned from Jesus and and walk with Jesus. And now that Jesus is returning to heaven, he's saying, what I did for you, you're to do for others. I want you to teach others what I've taught you. Every disciple of Jesus is a disciple maker. That's just a command we have. And that includes parents. And so as parents... Uh, our job primarily is to make disciples, is to teach our kids to follow Christ. Uh, it's, it's not enough to have children or to raise children, to provide for children, to even prepare children to be adults. Our calling is to teach our children to follow Jesus. Uh, study after study shows that the two most spiritually influential people in a child's life are mom and dad. And that means we cannot delegate their spiritual development to somebody else. It's a, it's a job that God has given us. And what I hope to show you this morning is it's not as complicated as we want to make it. It's pretty clear cut. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into actually how we, we go about discipling our kids. Father, thank you for your invitation to always come to you. Thank you that we can come boldly into your presence because of Christ and his death for us, his resurrection on our behalf. Thank you that we're always welcome. We pray that you'll be our teacher tonight. Our ways are not your ways. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. And we pray that you will be our teacher from the Scripture. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to look at one of the very first passages on parenting in the Bible, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy means second law because it is the second time that Moses has taught the law that God gave him on Mount Sinai 40 years before that. And now he's teaching it to a whole new generation of, of uh, Israelites before they go into the promised land. And so he's doing exactly what we're talking about doing, and that is passing on the faith to a new generation. And in verses 1 through 6 of Deuteronomy 6, I want to look at three things about, that we learn about uh, parenting and why parenting is discipling. First, the motive for parenting. Why parent? Uh, second, the goal. And third, the strategy. Let's start with the motivation. What should, what should motivate me? to uh, want my kids to become disciples of Jesus above all other things. Well, that's the first issue that Moses deals with here. 
Look what he says. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses starts with motivation. He says, I'm going to teach you the law that God gave you, and here's why you should listen. Why? So you can be more religious. So you can have more things to do. So you can feel guilty about things, right? No. You should listen to this so that you and your kids and your grandkids may prosper, so that things may go well with you, so that you may reproduce, so that you may be productive and successful in this land flowing with milk and honey. The motivation to teach our kids to follow Jesus is for their own benefit. That's, that's the point here. Nothing will profit them more. See, in the Bible, the Bible never says, do this because it's the right thing to do. Have you noticed that? God never pulls that old parental card, do it because I said to do it. With every command, there's a promise. A promise of good that will come to you if you obey. Or harm that you will avoid if you obey. We teach our kids to follow Christ because nothing more will benefit them. But unless I believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, unless I believe that no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, unless I believe that seeking first the kingdom of God and everything will be added to me, that delighting myself in the Lord and he will give me the desires of my heart, unless I believe it's to my benefit to follow Christ and it's to my children's benefit to follow Christ, then that will not be my priority for them. Every parent, well, not every parent, but most parents, except for the dysfunctional ones, most parents want the best for their kids. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, why do you tell your kid not to play in the street? Because you're an ogre? Why do you tell her to eat her vegetables? Why do you tell him to finish his homework before he pulls out the video game? Because you believe he's going to be benefited, right? I like what Phyllis Diller said once. She says, I want my children to have all the things I didn't have. And then I want to move in with them. We're motivated by our children's welfare. The problem is we often take the wrong path to that welfare. We think if 
they can make good grades, or if they can be popular, or they can be successful, or they can, they can avoid problems, or they can, they can have money, or whatever. We think that if they take this road, this will guarantee that they're going to be happy. Jesus said, the way that leads to destruction is broad, and many are those who find it. The way that leads to life is narrow and few are those who find it. As a parent, you've got to decide, what do I really believe is going to be of the greatest benefit to my child? Is it going to be the greatest benefit to my child to follow the road the culture says leads to happiness and success or to lead the road that Jesus says to leads to happiness and success? That will determine the direction of my parenting. From the time that I, I can remember our kid, kids being with us. Um, we would put them to bed every night, and I would give them the ironic blessing. I'd put my hand on their head, and I would say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and be gracious to you and give you his peace. You say, why did you do that? Because I believe that... that God's blessing is everything, that he adds no sorrow to it. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. And I wanted them to have God's blessing on their lives. I also wanted them to know it was God's blessing on their lives, that nothing was more important than having the favor of God. It was interesting that as they got older, you know, some, some days you're, you're tired and you're busy and you kind of just try to hurry, get them to bed so you can get on and stuff. Dad, you forgot the blessing. And... Uh, you know, they, they kept me to it, but the, I wanted them to know that nothing would benefit them more than walking with Christ because that's what the Bible promises. What's the motive? What's the motive for, for making disciples of your children? It's their benefit, their benefit. Nothing will benefit them more. Nothing will benefit them more. Second, what's the goal? That's the next point here. I find as parents, we have really short-term goals. Have you noticed that? When they're infants, what's your goal? Sleep through the night, <laughs> right? And then they become toddlers, and we can't wait until they can walk and talk. And then we think, what were we waiting for? I wish this kid had just shut up, you know, and, and, and stop moving. And when they're in preschool, you just want them to have friends. And in school, you want them to make good grades. And, and you know, it's, you, it, it goes up. You get, get into high school, and it's sports and academics and social stuff and student government. And then you go through entrance exams. You want to get them into college and the right college. Then how do I pay for this college? And, and then they finally graduate from college. And then you want them to get a job. And then you want them to move out. And then you want him to get married, and then you want him to move out, and and then and then you have grandkids, and then you want him to take the grandkids home with them, and, and stuff. You know, there's always these short-term goals, but but what's the big goal? What's the big goal? What are we What are we really after as parents? What's What's the target we're aiming for? Well, look what what uh, Moses says. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your might. Jesus called this commandment the great commandment because it is the foundation for all the other commandments. Every other commandment is to help me to love God with everything that I have. And so that becomes the target. And our love for God is based on our knowledge of God. Because he, sa- he starts off, he says, Hear, O Israel, understand that there is only one God. And because there's only one God, that God deserves all of you, deserves all of your love. And, and the more we know God, the more we love God. We, we grow in our knowledge of God, and then by believing that knowledge, we grow in our love for him. And so, and so if I really believe that God is love, how will I behave? If I really believe that God is holy, how will I behave? If I really believe that God is in complete control of every detail of my life, how am I going to behave? That's the whole idea. And so my, my goal as a parent really is to teach my child to love God. That's, that's the top thing. It's not to teach them rules. It's not to teach them to be religious. It's not to teach them how to, to impress other people or avoid embarrassing me. That's not what it's about. My goal as a parent is to teach my, my children about the God who is our life and how to love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so as, as we would get into problems and situations as, as, as parents, we would not talk about, well, here's what you did wrong or here's what you did right. We try to say, well, what do you know about God? And how does that shape the way we, we, we think about the situation? We operate, we always go back to God. And what is trusting God and depending on God and loving God? How does that shape this particular situation? Because my goal is not to have nice, moral, religious children because the world's got too many of those to begin with. I want kids who love God, who trust God, who depend on God, because I know that is going to give them life. So that's, that's our target. You see our target? My motive is the welfare of my children. My goal is that my children be children who love God and trust Him. And that becomes the center of their lives. So how do I do that? How do you, and that's the rest of this passage where I want to spend the time. The strategy, how do you raise children? And by the way, we're not just talking to those of you who are parents right now. We're talking about all the adults in the church because we're responsible for all the children in the church. And we're going to be talking in the weeks to come about how we as, as a church do this as well as individual parents do that. But So what's the strategy? What, how do I actually go about raising children who love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. Are you with me here? Are we, are we all caught up? All right. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Two-step, a two-step strategy. First of all, for me to teach my child to love God, I got to love God. I can't 
pass on something I don't possess. So the first thing is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your mind and these words which I am commanding you shall be on your heart. Do you see the connection that Moses makes between our relationship with God and our relationship with his word? I can't love God unless I love his word. Why? Because all I know about God comes from the scriptures, right? Um, More than one pastor has said, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak aloud, read your Bible out loud. God speaks through the Bible. That is it. That's, I don't know why he did it that way, but that's the way he chose to do it. He has chosen to give us a written record of his promises, his commandments, and all his acts in history. And the more familiar I become with that, the more I'm going to know him and love him. So it starts with me taking his word seriously. Now, having his word on my heart is more than having the Bible memorized. By the way, I think that's important because I, I can't, I don't know what to do if I forget what God says. Have you found that? So I'm memorizing scriptures become more and more important to me at the older I get as my memory fails. But it's more that having his word on our heart is seeing all of life through the perspective of his word, of the scriptures. It's, it's acting because I know God said to do this in this situation. God said to believe this in this situation. It becomes um, the lens through which I see all of life. That's what having God's word on my heart means. I, I like the, the, the quote by um, James Baldwin. He said, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. And, and that's why the first step in this strategy is you've got to have it true in your own life before you can have it true in your kid's life. Christian Smith, who is a sociologist at Notre Dame, and his team have been doing a long-term study on children who grow up in the church and why some continue in the faith and others do not. And what they found, the number one factor is, is the faith of their parents. That children who have parents with a vital faith tend to have vital faith. Children who have parents with lukewarm faith tend to have no interest in Christianity. If it's not working for mom and dad, then it probably isn't going to work for me, so I'm not interested. Now, that's not always true. I, I was the first in my family to develop a faith. My parents were religious, but they weren't Christians. But, so that's not always true. God can do everything. There's only one perfect parent, and he's had a few rebels himself. So kids are not robots. They're, they're, they have free will, and so your kids, you can't. But the point is that, that if you have a vital walk with God, 
you'll have something to pass on to your kids that you won't have otherwise. That's why the first step here in terms of a strategy in discipling your kids is you've got to be a disciple. You've got to have the Word of God on your heart. You've got to love God with all your heart, strength, and mind. So just quick, quick little check. What did God give you in the Word this morning when you read it? How many verses can you call to your mind right now? What's one thing you did last week differently because you remembered something the Bible said? Those are just a, a few little guilt-producing little, <laughs> little jabs for you. But just to kind of wake up and say, you know, how's my, how's my relationship with God? How much am I going? Okay, so that's number one. Lead by example. Lead by example. That's the first part of the strategy. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to have a profound impact on your kid's life. You just have to have a real relationship with Christ. Now, the second thing that, that Moses says about a strategy for making a disciple is you teach what you know to your kid in the flow of everyday life. Not in a class, not in a family devotional, but just as you live life together. Let's read what he says again. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. That's the personal example part. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. When our kids were little, we decided we needed to have a family devotional because that's what Christians do. And so I tried to sit down with my kids my family at a specific time and teach them the Bible did not go well. Uh, my daughter wanted to be the teacher. My son wanted to play with Legos. And my poor patient wife just tried to be an encouragement, but I could see she was thinking, what are we doing? It just, it did not work for us. That just, that, that regular family, if it works for you, you're, you're more spiritual than us. Um, but what we found was the best time to teach them was when we were in the car was because they couldn't escape. <laughs> and so, so Jenny was taking ballet class. And so on the way home from bringing her home from ballet class, Jeff and her and I would stop in McDonald's on um, East 14th and Estadillo there. And while they ate their Happy Meals, we would play this game called Ethical Questions that I made up. And I would just give them um, real-life situations and, and say, now, what does the Bible say you should do in this situation, in this case? And it would be, you know, for age-appropriate. So I'd say, you know, you're playing with Sally, and, and uh, Ellie from across the street comes over and wants to play with you, and Sally says, let's not play with her. So what do you do? What do you do? And we, I just try to take them through real-life scenarios that they're going to face and say, what does the Bible say? And then as they got older, we talked about, about the music they listened to and, and uh, the books they read, the programs they watched, issues that were going on in their lives at school and, and with friends. Um, I shared the things I was learning currently and places I was failing. But the whole idea was just to show that walking with God is an everyday thing, and we just talk about it as a, as a natural 
natural thing. And I think that's the best way because it becomes a part of your life. You, you see, this is not something that, that dad just kind of turns on at certain times during the week. And this is dad's putting on his religious hat. But this is really life. This is what life is about. And, and you learn bit by bit, part by part, as you talk about the things of God in the course of everyday life. And I think that's what, what Moses is saying here. That we disciple our children by showing them how practical our own relationship with Christ is in everyday life by just sharing them with them and talking to them about it and, and talking to them about the Bible in those types of cases. Fuller Institute of Youth has been doing a, a study for several years of kids who were very involved in youth group as students who then went on to college and why some have walked away from the faith while others have stayed true to the faith. And what they found with the kids that had walked away from the faith is even though they had been very involved in youth group, they couldn't really give you a working definition of what a Christian is. They thought a Christian is just, well, a person who does good things or goes to church. And they'd never been taught by anybody how you actually trust God. And their parents never really talked to them about the faith. They just sent them to youth group. By contrast, the students who are still walking with Christ, and I, I wrote these down because I thought these were really great findings. Um, they had parents who taught them to trust God and who modeled that faith in front of them. They focused their children's attention on trusting God and walking with God rather than um, obeying him and following rules. And they always frame discussions of problems in their kids' lives in terms of, of opportunities to know and trust God more. They were patient toward misbehavior. They taught their child to find their identity in how God saw them because of what Christ had done for them rather than in how their friends saw them or how they measured up in culture. Um, they emphasized character over academics or sports or achievement. They modeled a healthy daily relationship with God themselves. They refused to avoid hard subjects. They were unafraid of science or culture. Their kids could talk about anything with them. They opened up space for their kids to talk about anything. Uh, they listened more than they lectured. The good news of the research that Fuller has done is that you don't have to be a super spiritual parent to raise kids who follow Jesus. You just have to follow Jesus yourself. In the way, in the way you can. I, I really, to be honest, I don't like talking about parenting to parents 
because everybody feels guilty. Isn't that true? Because we have all failed as parents. Israel never obeyed Deuteronomy 6. In fact, Israel never obeyed any of Deuteronomy. In fact, Israel never obeyed any of the Old Testament. God gave the law to reveal his will. But more than that, he gave the law to reveal our need for a Savior. That nobody measures up. We all fail to do what God wants us to do. But there is one who obeyed the law perfectly. And that was Jesus. He becomes a human being to do what we couldn't do so that God can credit his perfect record to all who put their faith in him. He dies to death. We deserve to die. Dies for all of our failures to keep God's law so that God can, can wash our record clean and declare us holy, blameless, and perfect, clothed in his righteousness. And he rises from the dead so that he can come and live inside of us and give us power to do what we know we should do but haven't been able to do. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That's what we need, isn't it? We need power. And so the good news of the gospel is that Christ not only provides for the forgiveness of our sins, but he provides us the power to live the way we want to live and to be the kind of parents that God wants us to be. So if you're not a Christian today or you're not sure you're a Christian, um, it is simply a matter of faith. If you, uh, the Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the mouth one confesses and is justified. And with the heart one believes and is saved for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I, I could not be a parent if Jesus didn't live in my life. He's the one that gives me the power to do it. Let's pray. Father, you have given us a, a serious responsibility in giving us our children. Thank you that you give us serious power and wisdom in order to accomplish that. Help us to depend on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.